following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. As I was driving down to the studio today, I received a phone call from a man who has been listening to the broadcast. And his opening remark to me was, I'm really angry. Okay, what are you angry about? Well, I'm angry because I'm following Jesus and I'm doing what you've taught on the radio. I'm reading my Bible. I'm seeking Jesus with all my heart. I'm trying to live according to the commands of Jesus. But nothing is happening in my life. Why is nothing happening in my life? And he began to enumerate the things that he wanted to have happen in his life. And God was being slow in bringing those things to pass. And he was angry. He was disgruntled. He was jealous. He was envious of other people. And he was saying, I've listened and I've tried to follow Jesus and it hasn't profited me anything. I'm getting nothing out of this. It's just costing me time and energy. I said, well, can you tell me what it will cost you if you decide not to follow Jesus? Well, I don't know. But I know this isn't working for me. I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that we spoke about last night in our meeting as we gathered to pray and talk about the application of the gospel message to our lives. And it's found in the book of Matthew. Matthew 11 I can find it here quickly. I'm sorry. It's it's Mark 11. Mark 11. We'll begin with verse 22. Mark 11:22. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins." Now, this passage of Scripture I've tested. I've tried. I know it works. It's not magic. It's the Word of God. I remember when I was single, and my heart so much desired to have a wife to walk with me in partnership in ministry. And I stood for 
a year and a half on this promise, every day spending an hour before the Lord praying through this promise, and calling upon the Lord to cast into the sea this lack of a wife, to bring that person to me that he would choose. Now, I'll tell you what happened. After I had prayed about 15 minutes of my hour, I was finished praying. I didn't have anything else to say. And I recognized I really didn't know how to pray. And I'd been a pastor for almost 20 years. I prayed publicly. I prayed short prayers. I shot prayers at heaven. But I didn't know how to persevere in prayer. And so... After I'd finished about 10 minutes of prayer, I'd said everything I had to say twice. I didn't know where to go from there. And finally, in desperation, because I'd set the alarm clock, I was going to pray for one hour for my wife. And and I'm telling you this out of ignorance. I'm telling you that no one had ever spoken to me about how to pray. I didn't have a guide to go by. I was I was ignorant of the ways of God, even though I'd been a Christian all my life. So I, one day, seemingly by accident, so utterly frustrated, staying on my knees for that hour, not knowing what to say, just dead silence, going to sleep sometimes, waking myself and saying, Stay awake and pray, Ray or you won't have your wife. Well, one day shortly after I began this prayer session, almost seemingly by accident, the scriptures fell open to the Psalms. And suddenly I made the connection, and I said, oh, wait a minute. The Psalms are songs. They are David's prayers. What would happen if I began to read these aloud to God? And so I began to read aloud in my prayer time the Psalms. As I would read them aloud before God, the Holy Spirit would quicken parts of it, and I would stay with that and continue to dwell on that thought or that issue. Suddenly my prayer time began to extend from one hour to two hours to three hours. And now suddenly I found myself many days in my prayer closet praying for 10 to 14 or 15 hours. I was utterly caught up in the presence of God. The scriptures became so alive to me. And I would cry out to God over these passages And finally, after just over a year, I began my typical rant in my prayer, going through this scripture, pleading with God, demanding my right, in many ways praying like David prayed. And if you read the Psalms, they're pretty raw. At first, I thought God would strike me dead for what I was saying. But then I read David saying the same things. 
Oh God, why have you forgotten me? Why have you turned your face aside from me? Well, someone last night, in fact, I'll tell you who it was. It was my dear brother, David Sampson. He's one of the elders of the National Prayer Chapel. He said something that is so profound, and I've heard him say it many times, but it's so profound, and you need to hear it. He said, God answers prayer when we stand on his promises. But he only answers that prayer after the promise begins to stand on us. Oh, how painful that was. Because God's promise began to stand on me. Now, what do I mean by that? The only way God can begin to get a handle on your life is if you want something from God. If you don't want anything from God, he can't get a hold of you. He has to bring about circumstances that are so painful in your life or so desperate in your life that you will move out of your lackadaisical, laid-back, laissez-faire attitude and finally say, okay, I've got to do something. I need this. It may be you need need a new car. Maybe you need another house. It may be you need another job. It may be you're sick and you need healing. It may be your children who are wandering away from you and your heart is greatly pained over their condition. Whatever it is that you desperately want and you need from God, that's where you begin to stand on the promise. And as you begin to stand on this promise in Mark eleven, twenty-two through 24, as you begin to stand on that promise and you cry out to God over that thing, God will begin to stand on you. You see, in intercession, God never answers an intercession without first saying to you, okay, let me first deal with my agenda with you. And when I've dealt with my agenda with you, then we'll talk together about your agenda with me. Well, there are things that I desperately need from God today. My wife has passed on now four years ago. And I need a partner to walk with me. So I'm once more praying, Mark eleven twenty three to 24. I'm once more commanding this mountain of loneliness to be removed, this mountain of lack to be removed from my life. I'm asking Jesus if he would send me the wife that he's chosen, not someone that I choose. I'm not going out on web dating services. I'm not going to eHarmony. I'm not, I'm not looking for a wife. My full attention is on Jesus because only he can bring me a partner to walk with me through the last years of my life for the greatest work of my life. I know my work in Jesus is only just beginning. I'm not retiring. I'm I'm at an age where I could retire, and most of my classmates and friends, they've all retired. And they say to me, Ray, when are you going to retire? And I say, 
I'm not going to retire. I'm going to live for eternity. Why would I retire when I'm a young man in Christ? Talk to me about retiring after I've lived a million years. (laughs) I tell you then I won't want to retire either because I'm going to have the full strength of Jesus in a new body. So, hear what I'm saying. I need a new wife, a new partner to walk with me. But I'm not going to find that partner in my flesh. The Holy Spirit is going to have to show me who she is. And then he's going to have to draw her heart. And then she's going to have to begin to come to the National Prayer Chapel. And others are going to have to see the evidence that this person is to be my wife. The Holy Spirit's going to have to say, this person is supposed to be my wife. And when it's confirmed by the Spirit, then I'll take that step. But in the process, the promise has been standing on me, and it's broken me down even more. It's humbled my heart even more. It's given me compassion in a greater quantity. It's caused me to only think and desire Jesus. It's caused me to only talk about Jesus. This last week, I went in to exercise at the health club that I go to. I try to get there once or twice a week. And there was a person that I'd met some time ago, and several of them were standing together, and they called me over, and the conversation was a political conversation, and then it turned to some other topics, and I found I stumbled as I tried to talk with them, because these are not topics that I regularly engage in. Oh, I read carefully what's happening in this world but only from the perspective of how it influences the kingdom of God. I'm very interested in what happens in Greece, in Russia, in Turkey, in Israel, because last-day events are beginning to stack up, and it looks like the very things that we've always looked for before the coming of Jesus are now taking place. My heart quickens with that, and I can speak extensively about that aspect But ask me to just talk at random about political strategies. I'm at a loss because it's not something that I spend time talking about. I only talk to people about Jesus. You know, some people say, don't talk about politics or religion. I'm sorry, all I know how to talk about something is about Jesus. He consumes my life and my heart. I've discovered that as I pray this promise, he's he's making me more disciplined. He's causing me to watch my health more carefully because my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's causing me to look differently at people. He's given me great compassion for single people, understanding 
both the benefits and the and the negatives of being married or single. Being married requires a great deal of responsibility. It requires a sharing between you. It takes time. It takes thoughtfulness. And when you're single, you can go wherever the Lord sends you to go without talking to anybody else about what the Lord's saying, and nobody's saying to you, are you sure that's Jesus saying that to you, or is that just your own spirit? Well, I acknowledge there have been times when I was married to my wife, Jan, that I sinned by saying, the Lord wants me to do this, but in fact, I wanted to do that. And when she called me on it, I was not a happy camper. I was grateful that she had the discernment of the Spirit and was willing to confront me. Well, when you're single, you don't have to put up with any of that. But you know what? A man is not complete without a helpmate. And in my case, there is ministry I cannot do for women but a wife could do for those women. So as I've prayed it through, I know the Lord wants to grant me another partner. So I'm standing on this promise in Mark 11, 23 and 24. And this man said to me, Jesus is being so slow. I said to him, how long have you been waiting for a wife? Well, just a very short time. Before that, he was into every kind of sin, going to the clubs and the strip joints and before he came to Christ. I said, why are you so impatient? Well, I want it now. Non-Christians have their wives now. Why can't I have mine? I said, you know what? You have a really bad attitude. And that bad attitude is going to bring God's wrath, and he's going to push it off even longer. Well, what if I just stop this walk and go get a wife? I said, then you'll live in hell. It's your choice. You're going to get under the sheets every night with the woman you're married to. If you've chosen her, she'll be the wrong woman. If God chose her, she'll be the right woman. So what do you want? And you could hear him going, ah, ah. <laughs> Do you understand? God loves you. It doesn't profit us to be impatient with the Lord God of heaven. We're to stand on his promises. We're to trust him. We're to look to him. He is the desire of our hearts. Any wife that I have will have to make an agreement with me that Jesus must stand between us and that Jesus has first right on my life and Jesus has first right on her life. Otherwise, the marriage won't work. We'll kill each other. One of the first things I said to Jan after we were married I said, Jan, I need to be very clear about something with you. It will be impossible for me to make you happy. 
Happiness does not come by something I do for you. Happiness comes by something God will do for you. And you can't make me happy, so let's not try to make each other happy. Let's try to make each other holy. Let's call one another to Jesus constantly. And so sometimes she would say to me, Ray, on a scale of 1 to 10, how close to me are you today? And if things were a little rough, I might say a 5 or a 6. And she'd say, okay, what will it take for us to be a 10 together today? And I knew the answer. And she knew the answer. The answer was for us to get down on our face together before God and repent for not making him first in our hearts that day and get back on track with Jesus. And the closer we came to Jesus, the closer we came to each other. When we were tempted to fight with one another, we made an agreement that we would not engage in the fight. Instead, we would pray it through together making Jesus first and asking Jesus how to resolve the problem that seemed to be lying between us. Then after we were clear that we could deal with Jesus, then we were safe to talk with one another. But until we'd prayed together and spent whatever time was necessary to get clear with him, we couldn't get clear with each other. And those times when we did not get clear with Jesus, one or both of us walked away with hurt feelings and a residue of anger. And I don't choose to live my life with a residue of anger, and I don't choose to live my life with hurt. I choose to walk in the blessed presence of Jesus. I choose to walk under his authority and under his power. I choose to give myself utterly, unconditionally into his hands. And as you stand on the promises of God, those promises will come and stand on your head. And God will begin to transform your life. The only way you can be made righteous is as a gift that comes from the hand of Jesus Christ. And that's going to take some time, and it's going to take some suffering. It's going to take you being willing to let Jesus have his authority exercise over your life. Now, there's a story today I'm going to go back to, to the children of Israel. As the children of Israel are taken by a mighty hand, out of the womb of Egypt. They are birthed into the desert. Let's be clear what this means. The first place a Christian goes after they are born again is to the wilderness. Do you remember Jesus when he came for baptism and he was the sinless Son of God? When Jesus came for baptism... The Father spoke, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And with that Son, well pleased, where did the Holy Spirit take him? 
Did he take him to the temple in Jerusalem to begin a great ministry with a great crusade? No. He took him straight into the wilderness where he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights of the devil. The first place the Lord Jesus will take a person is to the wilderness. Now please understand, in the wilderness there will be many people around you, but they will be wilderness people. They will be people who will try you. They will be people who will steal from you. They will be people that you will not want to suffer their fellowship. But you're in that situation, you're in that place, in order for the promises of God to be fulfilled in your life. And, and the promises are now going to stand on your head. And you are going to be tempted by the devil. And he's going to do everything he can to entice you in the same way he did Jesus. Now, one day soon, we're going to talk about the temptations of Jesus. You do well to look at them because they're the same temptations he brings to you today. The children of Israel have been brought out of Egypt. They've been brought out into the wilderness. And in that place, Pharaoh comes surging after them. The devil will always come after you when you choose to leave his service. Some men and women that I speak with and call to fellowship in Jesus have a great deal of difficulty leaving behind the things of the world. They have difficulty leaving behind the fornication, the sex orgies, the pornography, the drugs, the alcohol, the bitterness, the anger, the rage from their youth up as they have been mistreated and life has been unfair for them. They have trouble with all of these things because the devil grabs a hold of these handles and says, look, you said you'd follow Jesus, but look how unfair he is to you. And every accusation of the devil will come in your mind. But be clear, these things are being whispered into your spirit. They're words of the devil that come to you. Don't mistake them for your own words. The man I spoke of at the beginning of the broadcast has such a difficult time for two reasons. One, he will not bury himself in the scriptures. He wants to bury himself in everybody else's writings, but he refuses to bury himself in scripture, and so he is weak like a baby because he can only take in milk. He has a difficult time dealing with the meat with righteousness. Now he also has a difficult time because he lets the devil come and speak to him constantly and accuse God. Now he knows it's not his heart, he knows it's the devil, but the devil comes and tries to convince him that Jesus is unfair. As soon as you desperately need something, 
and you begin to go to the Lord God of heaven, and you say, I will follow you, Jesus. I want you to come and wash me and make me clean. God's got a handle on your life now, and he begins to pull you through. But in the process, he wants to break off of you the bondages of Satan. Now, these people are coming out of abject slavery. They have a slave mentality. They're angry about their their past. They're angry about the way they've been treated. They're angry about the way they've been robbed. And they come out here into this wilderness impatient, and they see these Egyptians coming after them. And the Scriptures say they were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us out of the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to starve and serve the Egyptians than to starve here in the desert. And Moses answers the people very kindly. He says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. My brother, my sister, the fight to become righteous belongs to the Lord. It is for us to stand by faith on the promises not to become angry. If we do, to confess quickly the anger and ask the Holy Spirit to remove it from our hearts. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Well, here they are between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. What do you mean, move on? We can't cross the Red Sea. Some of you today have the Egyptians hot in pursuit of you. And the Red Sea is not open before you. And now the question is, will you go in discouragement and accusations against God? Will you become depressed and discouraged? Will you say, why didn't I just stay where I was and die? Or will you stand by faith? even if you don't like the circumstances and it looks utterly impossible, God always brings his people to the impossible so that they can be dealt with by the merciful hand of God and the promises can stand on our head and begin to transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. When my wife was living and she was very ill. We both stood in absolute faith that Jesus would heal her. We had received dreams that we believed told us that she would be healed. We did not waver. And to tell you the truth, as I held her in my arms as she was dying and breathing her last at 10 o'clock that morning, until she took her last breath, 
I believed that Jesus was just then going to heal her and restore her to me. And then she took her last breath, and I waited anxiously for the next breath, and there was not another breath. And my heart was broken. And I said, Oh God, you had first right to her, and you've taken her, and it was your right to take her. The Lord gives, and the Lord taketh. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I began to praise and worship Jesus with her in my arms, gone, tears streaming down my face, worshiping Jesus. Can I tell you, you don't come to that place overnight. I came to that place by faith. I felt like everything had been kicked out from under me. I left. I felt like I'd been hung. I, I wished I could die with her. The Lord just very quietly said to me, Let her go, Ray. I've called her. And I knew that Jesus had called her home. There was no doubt in my mind. And suddenly I knew beyond question that now Jesus had healed her. She was no longer suffering with this horrible cancer. The pain was gone. The suffering was gone. And in my arms I held simply the empty shell. For her spirit had gone to Jesus. I know today that she is not behind me. I did not leave her behind in time. I know she is ahead of me. She left time and went into the presence of Jesus. And by his grace, I could hold her through the tears and rejoice. And I have to tell you, it's taken me some time. But today, if you said, Pastor, would you like Jesus to return Jan to you? I would, without any hesitation, say absolutely no. How could I want her to come back to this wicked, wicked world? Jesus delivered her. She is in glory. I'm the one left here now. I rejoice in the name of Jesus. I tell you, until you stand on the promises of God, you will not walk through the deep water of of belief in Jesus. Until you've tried and tested him, and he's tried and tested you, you won't know what your real relationship is with Jesus until that impatience has died in your heart until the envy and the anger and the jealousy have all been removed from your heart, until your sense of entitlement has been removed from your heart. And now, no matter what the journey, you will walk through with your hands lifted up, and you will praise the name of Jesus, and you will not play footsies with the devil. When you have suffered sufficiently, 
under the promises of God. You will walk in glory. And everything in the world will look cheap and tawdry. Everything in the world will seem of no significance except the souls of other men and women. And there will be a fire burning in your heart that says, Tell them about Jesus. Set them free. Call them. Call them. Call them. But tell them they're going to have to die. That it'll cost them everything. But they will receive the glory of Jesus in their hearts. There is nothing. There is nothing more glorious than to walk in the presence of Jesus Christ. I walk with Jesus day by day. I walk in his presence. His spirit speaks to me. When I get out of line, he corrects me. When I become willful and say, okay, I've had it, he calms me. And he just quietly says to me, Ray, don't go there. That road is a road of darkness. You walk with me. And I'll admit, sometimes he has to pick me up and carry me. Other times, my faith legs are strong and I can walk with him. But whether I'm walking beside him or whether he's carrying me, either way, I'm with Jesus. I'm not going to change course. I'm not going to leave him. I'm not going to desert him. I'm not going to grow angry with him. I'm not going to be impatient with him. I have no accusations to bring against my God. He is wonderful, gracious, long-suffering, merciful. This morning, I needed to come into the radio studio here at Weva so I could visit with the men and just share in fellowship with my brothers here. And we get together and we eat before we do the broadcast. And I was out in the car and reached in my pocket, and my keys weren't there. I said, where are my keys? Well, I have two sets of keys. One I put away for safekeeping, so if I ever lost my keys, I could find them. And I've forgotten where I put my keys away. So I can't find that set. And then I can't find my regular keys Immediately I begin to pray and say, Jesus, please forgive me. I was careless with my keys. I don't have any idea where they are. So I went through all of my pockets. I, I went through everything in my closet where I usually put my keys at night when I go to bed. I searched the car. I went through everything, and I could not find them. And I began to complain. Lord, I have an appointment. You've set this appointment. And I've been careless with my keys. I'm sorry. I don't like this. I don't want to miss these men. I don't want to miss doing the broadcast today. 
Lord, would you please help me? And I began to groan and moan about how careless I was and beat myself up for being so careless with my keys. Finally, as I prayed, I said, Lord, I've searched this house time after time. I've gone through my pockets until I'm going to wear them out. Would you please tell me where my keys are? And would you please forgive me for being careless so that in my carelessness I'm not able to do what you called me to do today? This is 45 minutes I've been looking for my keys. And just as clear as a bell, they're in the bag that holds your computer. Go look. I never keep my keys in my computer bag. But I went and looked in my computer bag, and there were the keys. And I began to rejoice, but I also began to repent and say, Lord, I thought I'd grown past being impatient. I thought I'd grown past condemning myself for something that I do that's not very smart. I know I'm not very smart. I know I forget things. I know I lay things in places where I forget them. That's who I am. Thank you for showing me. And please utterly break from me this self-condemnation. See, when I was a kid, my dad called me bonehead. And he used to say things to me like, if your brains were dynamite, you wouldn't have enough to blow your nose. Now, those were not very kind things to say, and my dad was a godly man, but he was also an impatient man. He did not put up with stupid very well. And sometimes I was stupid. So I carried that image into my boyhood and then into my manhood. So when I get really tired and when I've really messed up, my self-talk goes, you stupid idiot, how could you do such a foolish thing? And I just challenged that and said, Lord, I'm not going to talk like that to myself anymore. I'm your child. And when I speak that way to myself, I'm speaking that way to your Holy Spirit because he dwells in me. Please forgive me and cut this wickedness off. It's a childhood lie. I was not a stupid child. I was a very smart little guy. Not smart toward the world, but totally given to you, Jesus. Forgive me. You understand, this self-talk can rise up in our hearts and it can destroy our standing with God. The children of Israel, as soon as they get in a difficult place, they go to their slave mentality and they say, it'd be better for us to just die. And the Lord says to Moses, just go straight ahead. Now, sometimes... I'm going to be really frank with you. Sometimes when I should be moving forward and doing what the Lord wants me to do, I would much rather just stay on my face and pray because it's easier to stay on my face and pray than it is to take the bull by the horns and do what God has told me to do. 
On the other hand, it's real easy to go rushing out to do in my flesh when I should be on my face praying. It takes maturity to tell the difference, to know when to go and when not to go, when to move forward and when to stop. And I confess to you, I still have trouble sometimes knowing in the confusion that can come from the world, I still have trouble knowing, should I move forward or should I wait and just pray? And I'll tell you the decision that I've made. I've made the decision that I would rather make the mistake of being on my face than charging out for battle in my own power. And frankly, that was Moses' decision. God had already told him what he was to do, but in the midst of this crisis, all he could do was lay on his face and cry out to God. And God had to come to him and say, Why are you crying out to me? Stand up. See, I want God to talk to me that way too. I want the Holy Spirit to tell me, Okay, you've prayed enough and you've read enough Scripture. Now go do what I told you to do. It's like he said to Joshua, Be strong and of great courage. Sometimes I'm not strong and I don't have any courage. And I need Jesus to speak those kind words to my heart. Moses is told that God, again, has hardened the heart of the Egyptians. This is the second time he's told them. He said, I'm going to gain glory through Pharaoh and all of his army. They're going to follow you into the water, and I'm going to drown them. Then the angel of the Lord, who'd been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood between them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other side. Can you imagine the eerie red light of fire covering over a million people so that they could see to get everything packed up and ready to roll? Can you imagine the sound of the wind as it's separating those waters? This must have been the most awesome and terrifying thing these people could ever imagine. Finally, there is dry ground. God's brought his great big hair dryer down and just blown that thing dry. A wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. And the Egyptians pursue them as they begin to cross through. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptians, and he threw them into confusion. He made the wheels come off their chariots. The Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against against Egypt. Well, man, shouldn't they have learned that a long time ago through the ten plagues? And the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and their horses. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And at daybreak, the sea went back into its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, or or away from them. They were fleeing back. And the Lord swept them into the sea, and the waters flowed back, covered the chariots and the horsemen, 
the entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. The Israelites, they went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and a wall of water on their left. You know, I've often dreamed about walking through that Red Sea and reaching out my hand into that wall of water just to know it was water. The Scriptures tell us that this was the baptism of the children of Israel. They were baptized as they walked through it. They died and were given birth into the wilderness, free of the Egyptians. Now, let's be clear. They go through this sea. The Lord has become a fearsome thing to them. They put their trust in the Lord, and they put their trust in Moses. And they sing the song of Moses and the Lamb. I want to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb on the other side of the Red Sea when I reach Cana land, when I reach that celestial city. I want to sing the song of Moses. I want to sing the song of redemption. I want to sing the song in the praise of my God who has heard my cry and has delivered me. I want you to be with me on that other side. I want you to sing with me the song of the Lamb. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he's hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw them down who oppressed. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. I want to sing the song of the Lamb. I want to walk with Jesus. I want to be filled with his Holy Spirit. I want to know without question that I have passed the test, that the promises of God have stood firmly upon me, and my path is now secure for eternity. Is that the cry of your heart today? Claim a promise of God. Stand on it. And let the promise stand on you. Now, very quickly, you're listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. If you need to learn how to walk by faith and you need to learn how to stand 
and you need to learn how to let God transform your life and make you righteous in reality, if your heart is hungry like mine for more of Jesus, then I invite you to come. We meet on Sunday at 12 noon. We pray for the first half hour, and then we go into praise and worship. Let me tell you where we meet. We meet at the wonderful church, the All Saints Anglican Church, a wonderful congregation of loving people who've made a way for us. The All Saints Anglican Church, and they're located at 14851 Gideon Drive in Woodbridge, Virginia. We're just literally off I-95 South. So it's 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. Now, you're also welcome to go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. nationalprayerchapel.com. There you'll find streaming video of today's broadcast. You'll also find uploads of past broadcasts. I encourage you to go to nationalprayerchapel.com. You'll find directions. Let me very quickly give you a phone number. My personal cell number is 703-489-1785. Now I pray God's blessing for you. I pray that you'll rise up in faith and seek after Jesus. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.